What's up, everybody? I'm Mike Wilson with Any Hour Services, and we're proud to help bring you this podcast. If you ever need a resource for information about your home's electrical, plumbing, heating, or air conditioning system, you can find Any Hour Services on Facebook, YouTube, or online at anyhourservices.com. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Hi, welcome to uh, Funding Lab on Ideation Collective. Uh, I'm your host, uh, Josh Solway. Unfortunately, uh, my co-host, Jess Larson, couldn't be with us today. Um, We've got with us today uh, Raymond Baraska. When it came online, the pulp it produced was so extraordinary that the Japanese, who back then owned the world, would literally bang on our door asking for more of it. It was of that quality. The board, recognizing what a major accomplishment this was, that he actually did it without borrowing any money, but did it with cash flow and tax credits, um, they wanted to give him a $60,000 bonus, and he declined it as a waste of shareholder assets. This is another episode of our Innovation and Leadership series where we interview pro athletes, world-class musicians, CEOs, Hollywood filmmakers, and a wide variety of other high achievers. Before we get rolling, we want to invite you to get involved in the charity our founders helped start called Child Rescue. We work to combat child sex trafficking in the U.S. and globally. The top project you could help with now is in Cusco, Peru. There are 20 girls that the local government rescued but didn't have anywhere to keep them safe, so they put them in jail. The government has said that they're willing to give custody of these kids to the aftercare facility we're helping to expand now once we raise enough money and build an extra building there. To learn more, please click on the Child Rescue tab on our website, which is iCollective.co. So with that out of the way, let's get to the interview. So uh, that's actually kind of a nice dovetail into... Uh, I'm sure, what led to to Colorado crowdfunding. So can you tell us a little bit about Colorado crowdfunding and what sure. that is, mission, et cetera? Sure. Let me just tell you, it occurred, uh, it exists because of something that was serendipitous. What happened was uh, my colleague asked me to videotape one of her uh, annual meetings. And I said, okay. So I, I took the video camera and I went there and she had a panel including a finance expert and a huge audience. And uh, someone in the audience said, well, when it comes to the funding part of this whole process, what about uh, crowdfunding? And everybody on the panel, and I wasn't on the panel, but I also had a blank stare. We had no clue what what this was, crowdfunding. We never heard of it. And this was after (laughs) Kickstarter and Indiegogo were both viable companies. And so we kind of disregarded it. But then the next question, was very disturbing because the guy asked, well, what about venture capital? And the finance expert couldn't answer the question. He couldn't provide a cogent answer. Wow. So I went, to, I went to my colleague after the meeting, and I said, you know, you guys embarrassed yourselves. I said, when that question was asked, there's so many people in Colorado <laughs> who are aware of venture capital, and for you guys not to have a plausible response was, was ridiculous. She goes, I go, you need to have a better finance expert. She goes, you do it. I said, no, I am not doing it, not for this kind of audience. I am not doing this. And she said, no, no, you do it, you do it. And eventually, of course, she won. And so I said to myself, okay, 
I better find out what this crowdfunding thing is, just so I have a response. And lo and behold, what do I discover? I discover the JOBS Act is about to emerge from Congress and land on the president's desk. And as an old securities lawyer who had been frustrated with our regulatory system, both from the inside, right, in representing companies, as well as from the outside, suing companies, um, I said, this is a game changer. This has the potential to change the landscape and do precisely for, for entrepreneurs what I want to have done for entrepreneurs, which is to change the way that capital aggregates and then gets distributed. I said, this is amazing. And I threw my full support behind and almost immediately decided to set up Colorado Crowdfunding as an organization. I looked around and I said, okay, what should I do? Should I do a website? What should I do to, to start this whole process? And I realized there were tool sets out there that were available that would get would, would accelerate uh, my growth quickly. And one of them was the Meetup tool set. And so that's why I decided to constitute uh, Colorado Crowdfunding on, on Meetup initially. And it was a wise decision because I got 70 or 80 members the first day. The problem was a lot of them wanted to offer me food. They wanted to offer me a location. I said, no. <laughs> I said, nobody gets to influence Pedal in this organization. We're going to run this the right way. And so from day one, from day one, Colorado Crowdfunding's mission was, continues to be, and will always be the following. Colorado Crowdfunding exists to create free, safe, and secure spaces where you can come and learn everything you need to know about crowdfunding in all of its iterations and how to do it right without worrying about having predatory service providers pick your pockets or pocketbooks. I made it very clear from day one, the people that were invited and were welcome were both the entrepreneurs and the investors who would invest in them. And that anybody else that wanted to come, they would be scrutinized heavily. So be on your guard because we're gonna run you through the gauntlet. And that was the attitude, that was the demeanor, and that was the tone from day one. And we had some folks that tried to tried to, to breach that, that wall. And we were able ultimately to prevail and to demonstrate to our crowd that what they were proposing would not work. Uh, and that helped shore up our credibility. We had some early members who saw that process play out and became incredibly loyal members early on, important people in the community. And so that has helped uh, Colorado crowdfunding's growth is having credibility and sticking to our mission. And, and like I said earlier, um, we have uh, not always been right. Uh, when we first started Colorado crowdfunding, because of my own bias in favor of democratic processes, I was more inclined to look at Indiegogo uh, as opposed to Kickstarter, because I learned that Kickstarter uh, was really being driven, decision-making was really being driven by three individuals, um, whereas um, Indiegogo, if you had a campaign that wasn't either illegal or immoral, it didn't matter where in the world you were uh, to invest, and it didn't matter where in the world you were to create a campaign, you were welcome. And I like that. But what we discovered is that is that a lot of the Indiegogo spokespeople kind of overrepresented the brand or over-promised over the benefits of the brand early on. And so we drew back a little bit. And then when Kickstarter uh, came up with its algorithm, which made the process there less people intensive and more capable of being understood, and even to some extent to be candid, manipulated by campaigners so that they could actually get on the platform, we were more comfortable with it. And so we still look at Indiegogo and we're looking at them again for a totally different reason. 
that I really can't disclose right now because it's a hypothesis, a working hypothesis. Um, but we look upon them as a po possibly a part of the solution in fixing what we think may be wrong with the current equity crowdfunding ecosystem. We think that there may be an opportunity, not having anything to do with Indigo's um, inclination at some point to get into equity crowdfunding themselves, nothing to do with that, but, but more to do with the, some of the analytical tool sets and some of the, the uh, new emphasis on more customer support uh, that they've recently promoted. Uh, they were out here in Colorado a couple of weeks ago. Uh, they had the three different meetings, one at Galvanize, one at Innovation Pavilion, one at Techstars. And they promoted this new, these new analytical tools, which they've created apparently, which helps campaigners, as well as a renewed emphasis uh, on significantly uh, bolstered uh, customer support for campaigns, uh, you know, support from the platform for campaigns. So we're going to start looking at, at those tool sets and that um, supposed new support, see if there may be a way we can employ that as part of a much longer build towards success in, in equity crowdfunding than currently exists. Interesting. So, so as far as let's talk a little bit about before we jump off of before we move on even from Colorado crowdfunding. What what does it look like? Um, you know, uh, 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 sort of the offering of Colorado crowdfunding. What um, you know, if I'm a small business, if I'm a business that's a viable business that, that uh, is looking at crowdfunding, uh, wants to learn more about it, what? do I get, in a sense, from a Colorado crowdfunding? Okay, what, what happens is we run um, five distinctive types of crowdfunding meetups a month. So that we have basically five different crowdfunding groups. Uh, one, uh, which is the original one, which is I continue to moderate, is uh, investment-based crowdfunding. Uh, and it's basically for businesses that aren't really, really super, super, super early stage businesses that have, you know, built up some traction. Uh, maybe they're at a break even, uh, maybe they're pre break even, but they've built up some revenue. That's, you know, something other than a couple of bucks. Uh, maybe they're even profitable. Um, some of them, believe it or not, are very successful. And uh, the entrepreneurs in those businesses have decided, you know what, I'm tired of dealing with really greedy private equity money. I want to try my round since I'm now accomplished and my business is is vibrant and moving along. I want to try my hand with maybe the crowd to raise money where I have to give away less of my deal uh, and I can get terms that are more favorable. Um, so we see those kinds of companies in that meetup group. We, we frequently meet with companies like that. And we have a, a monthly meetup where we have a presentation. Uh, we either have a presentation by me or we have on a topic or we have a presentation by one of our invited guests or we have a workshop. Um, so it varies. Um, the other four groups, we have one for product pre-sale, which is kind of the Kickstarter Indiegogo model, uh, principally Kickstarter. We have um, a Kickstarter for creative projects. So in other words, instead of selling a product, you're trying to create a, a piece of artwork, a new film, um, a, a piece of sculpture. Um, uh, maybe you are uh, came up with some recipes. You want to uh, create a book. Um, so, so that's a, a distinct meetup group. Um, then we have social impact investing, and, it, and that's aimed primarily at a lot of the millennial members who really want to combine um, creating a successful business and making money with having a significant impact uh, on the world. And not just, oh, wouldn't it be nice, but really they're kind of driven by multiple motivations beyond just making money. 
And we have a different moderator for that group who's younger, more, more attuned to millennial uh, way of thinking about business. And is that sort of more of a social entrepreneurship type of yes. series? Is that the idea? Yes. Okay. yes, exactly. And we've had some uh, moderators who've passed through and then moved on, but um, it's basically it's, it was basically built for the new type of entrepreneur we're seeing emerge in the millennial generation. <clears throat> and then last but not least, I have what I call my greedy members, and that's the real estate crowdfunding. Real estate crowdfunding is probably <laughs> next, next to fintech. Real estate crowdfunding is probably the biggest surprise and the most dynamic and the largest, by far, 800-pound gorilla in the room. Um, it's been very successful. I have a lot of enthusiasm in that group, and people are already finding ways to make money in it. Uh, there's some really good models out there. We teach those models so that people, ordinary people can actually use those models to create their own funds to go after real estate. So it's been very, very vibrant. But they are completely and totally exclusively driven by the kind of fix and flip mentality. I mean, it, it might be commercial real estate that might be willing to hold on to it for four or five years, but ultimately the whole point is to build it and then sell it and make a ton of money. So they're driven exclusively by, by that kind of motivation. So it's really interesting. You need different meetup groups in order to meet the needs of the different people who are interested in those different things. In my meetup group, people are interested in growing companies. These are not people that would want to, let's say, get a product built to the point where they could license the product. These are people that want to hold on to a business. These are true entrepreneurs, and they have large visions, and, and, and many of them have significant traction. So um, those are the five substantive groups. But we also, in addition to those five meetups, we actually conduct an introduction to crowdfunding for newbies, which is where we recommend everybody start. And we have just recently started a Southern Colorado branch and a Northern Colorado branch just to reach those folks who just can't, for whatever reason, make it to Denver for one of our five substantive or even the intro meetup. And those kind of rotate programming through the year. We also do, for those people who like lunch meetings, we do um, a monthly meeting at the Commons on Champa. So that's still another meetup that we do. Sometimes it tracks one of my meetings, sometimes it tracks a product pre-sale meeting. But we make that available just for those people who just can't get away at night to, to, uh, to attend one of our normal meetups. So we're very active in the educational realm, and all of our meetings are free. Uh, there's no cost for any of it. There's no cost for any of the materials. I used to actually distribute the materials uh, on hard copy um, or in electronic form on a disk or flash drive, but we're self-funded, and it's become so expensive that what I do now is I just basically distribute it electronically. So for PowerPoint presentations that we give, we make them available uh, for free. After the meeting, if, if a member will send me an email, or sometimes we'll just load it to the website and let them download it directly. Um, well, we would love to, uh, and I'm sure we'll, we'll put links to obviously Colorado crowdfunding in the show notes, um, but we'd love to talk to you about sort of making some of those things available to all the listeners here too, because I think it's, it's those are useful things. Um, and, uh, you know, Seems like uh, we share this this mission of getting as much good content, good information in the hands of people uh, that are trying to trying to make something happen here as possible. So, so that's Colorado crowdfunding, um, and we kind of stick to our knitting, as I used to say at Great Northern, um, and we're proud of that. We're proud of what we've been able to accomplish. The new challenge for us is what has come out of the early experiments in equity crowdfunding. Um, the reason I got involved, and I think I mentioned this uh, a couple of minutes ago, the reason I got involved in crowdfunding at all 
was because of the JOBS Act. And now what we finally have are every single provision in the JOBS Act, Title I, which really was kind of relief for companies like a Facebook, more runway to stay private for longer with the ability to test the waters and make confidential non-public filings of a draft S-1 before you actually were forced to go public. Title I is doing fine. Uh, Title II, there's been a, a, a falling away, quite honestly. And the folks from WeFund are confirmed this uh, when we were talking to them on, on Saturday. We've actually seen it ourselves, and we were troubled by it. Um, so Title II has been effective now since September of 2013. That's the accredited investor crowdfunding, uh, where you can go online and basically solicit accredited investors, provided you verify their accredited investor status. Um, Title IV has now been around for, for uh, actually over a year now. Um, and we've been disappointed, quite honestly, by the, the, the results so far under Title IV, which is the Regulation A+, plus that I was so enthused about when it came out and felt that was the real game changer more than any other aspect of the, of the JOBS Act. And then Title III, which became effective just uh, a month ago. Uh, we've seen in every single case um, disappointments thus far when it comes to equity crowdfunding. Um, in the case of Title II, when we looked at, at uh, Title II crowdfunding a year after its, its effective date, um, the ratio of what I call dark deals, the, the old uh, private equity deals that venture capital and angels would do, the ratio of dark deals to this new accredited investor crowdfunding was about nine to one. Even back then, the commission was surprised, the SEC was surprised that there wasn't more uh, migration over from the old, what we call the 506 or dark deals, private deals, to this new accredited investor crowdfunding uh, type of deal. Um, but we were, we were encouraged that it would happen. Well, Can I quickly just, just sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to quickly, because that's a really important point you're making. And, and when you're talking about dark deals and, and that ratio, you're saying basically that the intent was, correct me if I'm wrong, right, it, is the, it seems you're saying the intent was to get more accredited investors, individual sort of investors, the opportunity to get to invest in the kinds of deals that were really done privately by the venture capital guys and the institutional guys who got to see those deals. The whole point you're saying was to get those deals into the, to open those up to, to individual investors, you know, credit investors, and that wasn't happening. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. And, so, and so back then the ratio was nine to one, but we were all hopeful we'd see significant improvement over the next couple of years. Well, two and a half years later, the reality is that the ratio of the old traditional deals to these new accredited investor deals is something now like either 30 to one or 60 to one. There was $1.3 trillion worth of dark deals in the same period of time that only $36 billion of accredited investor crowdfunding deals got done. So you can see wow. ratio has worsened considerably. And WeFunder told us that they are shifting their business model away from Title II deals. We've also heard recently from Seth Levine, a partner to Brad Feld, that their experiment with the AngelList platform, which is a Title II platform, um, is over. That after doing, I think it was, he mentioned 72 deals, they've decided to move away from, from doing those kinds of deals. And that's in Colorado. You know, they're, they're a Colorado presence. So we're seeing some very disappointing things happen, certainly in the Title II space. When it comes to 
the Title IV space, Regulation A plus space, what has been very disappointing is not so much uh, the companies like XTI Aircraft or even to some extent Ilio Motors. Uh, both of them have had disappointing raises. Um, XTI Aircraft, as far as I know, and this is uh, based on very, very uh, skimpy information, they wanted to raise nine million, they've raised about a million bucks, but they've also had some problems, some very serious problems early on. Their co-chairman um, and a contestant winner um, crashed a P-51 Mustang and killed both the co-chairman and the contestant winner. So some bad publicity, also some uh, faster burn rate than they thought they would have. It's, it's impacted the company and probably the perception of investors as to, their, as to the quality of the investment. They did qualify with the SEC. They did get to go to market, but their their raise has been very disappointing. Ilio Motors, uh, they they went, before they actually opened their offering, they had uh, indications of interest of 42 million. They wanted to raise 25 million. They only raised 17 million. They closed their round very quickly. Um, then we have a company which you know investment bankers talk about a, a low case, a middle case, and a high case. Well, in my mind, this is just my opinion. The low case was XTI, the middle case was Ilio, but the high case was a company that I think is a phenomenal company in a phenomenal industry with phenomenal talent, phenomenal technology, phenomenal support from established small, albeit small, but nevertheless established venture capital firms, uh, Virtuex, which has the omni, totally immersive virtual reality ecosystem. Yeah. Okay. Um, they actually wanted to raise, and they've actually been successful uh, earlier in their in their career on WeFunder raising Title II money. Uh, well, they went over to SeedInvest to do their Regulation A plus raise. They wanted to raise 15 million. By the time they actually opened the, uh, the 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 offering, it was down to 10 million. Until very recently, they were at 4.5 million. I think in the last couple of days, I heard that they got a $500,000 investment from a Chinese company. We don't know what the outcome is, but clearly, given everything they have going for them, um, very disappointing outcome for what I consider the high the high case. Um, and so then we flip over to Title Three. Now, Title Three, I'm I'm very aware of because I actually was asked to represent a client doing a Title Three raise on on the uh, WeFunder platform. Um, I will tell you that when he came to me, because he was he basically found himself despite having gone through some, uh, some programs at both um, uh, one of the very significant organizations in the state that promotes business training, and, and another one as well, both two, two very significant organizations that promote business training, including how to raise funding. He had gone through both programs in, in each organization and had spent a considerable amount of money and discovered that when he was approached by WeFunder that they hadn't prepared him for this, not, not one iota. And when he asked WeFunder <clears throat> what they would need from him in order to be on the platform, he realized he had nothing. And so he had gone to one of my intro to crowdfunding meetups. He reached out to me in desperation. He said, I'd like you to help me. I said, help you to do what? Raise money. Okay. And how do you propose to go about this? I want to use this Title III. I said, forget it. It's a disaster. And, and not only did I feel that from fairly early on, <clears throat> that, it needed to be, that it needed to be reformed and was hopeful that Congress would step in and, and reform it. But I had been given that insight by, by Commissioner Gallagher from the SEC when he was out here a year and a half ago, that, that, that even he thought that it was really problematic. <clears throat> and so I, I urged my client not to go forward. 
And he said, look, he said, I've been told that there'll be the New York Times there, the LA Times, the Boston Globe, and the Wall Street Journal, and I can't pay for publicity like that otherwise. So even though it may be problematic me doing this, I want to go just for the publicity. I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll meet with you first. And so I met him and I was impressed. He's a brilliant young guy. He's very accomplished. He's only six years out of college and he's been able to do some significant work with a major industrial company. Um, he's got some pretty cool technology, not earth shaking, but pretty cool. Um, he's very articulate, he's very bright. He just wasn't um, mentored properly to get him to where he needed to be in order to be on the platform. But I said to myself, I said, this guy is a keeper. And so I'm not gonna throw him away. I said, I'll tell you what, let me go take a look at this platform that you're talking about and see what I think about it. Because I think there's all sorts of issues and things you're just not prepared to do given how early stage you are. So I went to WeFunder and to my great surprise, because I had heard about these guys years before, and it didn't seem to me that they had the, a, a legal pathway to do what it was they were proposing to do. But obviously now everything was legal. Title II had become legal, Title IV was legal, and now Title III was legal. So I looked at them more closely, and I, to my great surprise, I discovered these guys have done a lot of the legwork that the statute and the rules seem to impose on an issuer. They'll file your Form C for you. They will have they have a whole document library where they can choose from their templates if you want to, to, to create whatever your offering's gonna look like. They have this thing and that thing, and, and they were very, very user-friendly. At least it appeared on the surface, they were very, very user-friendly. In addition, I discovered to my surprise, they had been a Y Combinator client. And then last but not least, um, they had been responsible not only for Virtuex in its early uh, year, but also for what used to be a, bet, a, a unicorn, and I think it probably still qualifies as a unicorn, although it had some bad publicity recently, the company Zenefits. And so I said, hmm, these guys have done something. They have they've accomplished something. And I started to look more closely at the platform and began to realize that with my clients going to take a shot at doing a Title III deal, in spite of my advice against doing a Title III deal, that the best platform for them would probably be this WeFunder platform because it, it, it brought to the party so much of the party. And so I agreed to go forward. And I said to my client, I said, understand one thing. I still have grave doubts about Title III. I'm not guaranteeing anything. I'm not even serving as your lawyer here because there's still some issues, legal issues like gun jumping and uh, preconditioning the market that I'm concerned about. Um, but I will help you as much as I can, but I'm not gonna charge you vir virtually anything. Because to me, you're an experiment. And that means you're a pioneer. I said, you know what happens to pioneers? He said, yeah, they end up with arrows in their back. And I said, so be prepared to have arrows in your back at the end of this process. If you're agreeable to moving forward on that basis, I will work with you. And he said, yes. And so we learned a lot in the process. Some of it very satisfactory, some of it not very satisfactory. And I've actually made some recommendations to the WeFunder folks when I met with them on Saturday about the unsatisfactory parts. But one thing I became aware of and I'm trying to bring his name up. Bear with me just one second, because I think it's important. Um, I did not get this kind of confidence. Um, I mean, I like the platform, um, and we'll talk about some of its its failings, but I like the platform, uh, but I didn't get this kind of confidence about it until I actually had a chance to meet. Dum, 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 dum. So did you, so can you share the name of this client? Yeah, his name is Nick Tomarello. T-O-M-M-A-R-E-L-L-O, Nicholas Tamarello. He is WeFunder. I mean, he has other co-founders, 
and I'm sure they've contributed an immense amount to the success of the platform thus far. By the way, uh, they were not venture capital funded. They've actually been able to generate revenues from very early on in their in their uh, their journey, and so they are profitable right now. They're not looking for venture capital investment. And what um, is the name of the company now? It's called WeFunder. Oh, you're saying a WeFunder, uh, but your client, uh, who's oh, using my client, my client, my client uh, has a company called the Still Company, S T I L L Company, the Still Company, and my client's name is Chris Fisher. Um, but the but the individual who I believe really does represent the heart, the beating heart of equity crowdfunding is this guy, Nick Tamarello. And I'm pretty suspicious and I'm pretty cynical at this point about other people and about what they really want, what their agenda really is. This guy really is philosophically committed to this. And he has spent a huge amount of his own time with the SEC and with lawyers and with the people in the crowdfunding industry to try to to try to make equity crowdfunding, the promise of equity crowdfunding, a reality. And so it's because I met him on Saturday and got to take his temperature and got to look into his eyes and got to listen to him and have him listen to me and understanding that he's on the same wavelength as I am when it comes to where crowdfunding should be, equity crowdfunding should be, if it's ultimately to be successful. And it's a, it's a very bold vision. And it's he's very, he's very clearly committed to that vision. Um, and so without overselling them, because I would not want to do that. I tend to not like to proselytize. But I am convinced that his heart is in the right place, that whatever problems exist with this platform, and there are problems, some of it's just working out the kinks. It's brand, I mean, Title III is brand new. Um, we disagree, for instance, on the, on the most preferable type of security. He believes a type of security created by Y Combinator called the SAFE, uh, it's an acronym for Simple Agreement for Future Equity. He believes that that is the best possible, most optimal uh, type of security for startups using Title III to use. I believe just the opposite. I believe given the complexity of, of, uh, of crowdfunding, given the complexity of just equity investments, if you're trying to attract a non-accredited audience, I believe you are better off offering common stock than anything else. Yes, it creates problems for you. But you know what? If you're not willing to encounter your investors on equal terms, then what business do you have being in business? I mean, that speaks volumes, I think. Or and certainly so, at least in the business of raising capital for a business, right? Yeah. I mean, especially from non-accredits. It's different when you're dealing with accredits. They've grown up in a universe of all sorts of strangely complex instruments and securities. I mean, a long time ago, a brilliant lawyer that I worked for at Gray Advertising said to me, the, the job of a securities lawyer has nothing to do with compliance and everything to do with inventing new securities. Well, when I, when I think about that in, in the context of the blow up of the economy in 2008, I sometimes wonder whether that's a good, a good use of time, if you know what I mean. But at any rate, you understand my point, is that there have been experiments, like, for instance, the convertible subordinated debenture, the, 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 the thing that is so uh, much in, in vogue right now when it comes to seed stage financing, and, and the argument is that you don't have to worry about valuation, right? You put a valuation cap on, you give them a discount, you're good to go. It's basically a loan. Um, that, that whole um, instrument, that approach actually migrated over from a place in the 90s where it was used exclusively for bridge financing when you are anticipating a down round 
and the company was problematic in the eyes of their investors. Um, and so what you wanted to do is you wanted to give them a little bit more protection to get them over the hurdle, give the company a little bit more runway so they could actually prove that the, the misstep that they had made was not fatal and they could ultimately recover and move forward and then go on to the next series round that they needed to go on to. So it was, it was purely used as a bridging, uh, bridging technique between a, a company that had kind of suffered, I mean, either missed a milestone or just took a misstep and the next round, the next real round of financing that they needed. Um, and yet now it's being used basically universally, at least in Colorado, as the document that, that uh, accredited investors prefer for very early stage companies. Um, so when you're talking about accredited investors, you're talking about a very different kind of audience. When you're talking about non-accredited, there are two issues you have to deal with, and they, and they hit you right between the eyes. One is risk of loss, which non-accredited view very differently than accredited do, okay? And the second issue is lack of liquidity. If you do nothing to overcome those two issues, and, and, and this guy, Nick Tamarello, he understands those principles, and he's, he's thinking creatively about how you solve some of those problems, quite honestly. And I was very impressed with where he's going because it, maybe it's just me patting myself on the back, but it actually aligns with where I think it should be going as well. Um, well, I mean, we, you know, I mean, that's, that's, we all have a view and if you, uh, it's, it's, you're obviously you're pretty, pretty committed to finding the right paths and you find people who share that doesn't necessarily mean you have to agree with everything, but you, you know, you share that ethos and you, you, this is all people trying to, trying to find their way, you know, towards, towards the right approach on, on making this incredible change, uh, that, that the Jobs Act and specifically Title III really represent. What as you think about it, as you look at clients, let's say whether you know whether it's uh, you know the Still Company or any other prospective client or anyone coming to to whether they're clients of you as an uh, as an advisor, an attorney, or as a Colorado company, what are the key you know? And we're sort of uh, running running sort of out of time, I suppose. But there's just so much to talk about here. What are the key things that a company should be thinking about? Okay. First thing is to make sure you're getting mentoring from people who really know what they're talking about and people who can actually help you get to the place where you need to be to be plausible as a potential company for any kind of funding, whether it's bank financing, venture capital financing, angel financing, crowdfunding, whatever it is, debt-based debt crowdfunding, whatever it is, make sure that you put yourself near or in the hands, the capable hands of someone who really not only understands what needs to be done, what, what, what work has to be done before you'd even be plausible as a candidate for financing. Do that first and, and test the bona fides of that person. Make sure that they're not um, just in it to provide their services, uh, irrespective of the outcome. Make sure that what they're focused on is your outcome, not just their outcome. Okay, that's important. So someone that knows what they're talking about and someone that really is has your interest, your best interest at heart. And what's a good way to, to, to vet that in your view? Like what way in terms of making sure that they're not just there to make their fees and pay, well, you know? If, for instance, let's say that you get somebody and you say to them, well, take a piece of my company. And they say no. All right. That by itself is not damning. Okay, it doesn't necessarily rule out that service provider. Find out why. Okay, 
Um, is it because they just don't do that? And there's good reason sometimes not to do that. For instance, one of the problems that Venture Law Group had was how do you segue the professional responsibility issues there? You know, they had a hard time with that, grappling with that when they were taking interest in their client companies. And or I mean, as as a bar for because of yeah, professional exactly. service like the law, like a bar exactly. as a bar, bar because you you might have a conflict of interest there at some point, right? Not being able to give dispassion, objective advice, and or struggle with that part much more than venture law group did. Um, um, so there might be a good reason why they don't want an interest in your company. <clears throat> Another thing may be, um, do they want money from you up front? Now that's not always a bad thing. It depends on what they're guaranteeing. To, to be deliverables to you. And deliverables don't necessarily have to, to be the final outcome that you get the money, but there have to be deliverables. If you're dealing with someone who's charging you and all they're delivering is a bunch of blather, beware, okay? Blather you can get for free. If you wanna learn about even venture capital, Come to a Colorado crowdfunding meetup and ask all the questions you have, because we have a depth of, of experience about it that many lawyers even have, because they haven't lived through some of that stuff. Okay, um, that's available for free, and good organizations will provide that for free. Um, so blather is not good enough. They have to be able to, to, to commit to you that they're gonna have some kind of deliverables. So for instance, one of the reasons we're looking at these new analytical tools that Indiegogo has talked about is do they provide a way, a metric to measure how successful your social media expert is when you're building your social media presence, which is critical in crowdfunding. Uh, how successful is your videographer in producing a video that gains some traction? How successful is your team in actually doing what they claim they're doing? How successful is your taskmaster in riding herd on your team? These are things that we're looking at as a way to try to facilitate more optimal, more informed, better uh, decisions about who you need to put in place to help you with fundraising, who you need to put in place that will actually increase your chances for success. Um, so being careful um, about who you pick and then finally having some way to measure the effectiveness of their deliverables. Those are really important, and that's what we're going to. What we've discovered is this, bottom line, when it comes to crowdfunding. With the exception of real estate crowdfunding, which is doing very well all by itself, and with the exception of debt-based crowdfunding, so Lending Club, Prosper, On Deck, in our state, uh, P2B Investor, um, Kick Further, many others, the key to crowdfunding, putting those two types of crowdfundings aside, is you have to bring the crowd to the crowdfunding. It doesn't matter whether it's donation-based crowdfunding, product pre-sale, creative projects, rewards-based, equity crowdfunding, it doesn't matter. You've got to bring the crowd to the crowdfunding. So for us, the next couple of months will be spent in how do we really do that effectively without someone having to spend their entire raise, let's say from a Kickstarter campaign, on the service providers that gets them, all right? How do we do that much more efficiently, much less expensively, much more successfully? That's what we're gonna be focusing on as an organization as we move forward. How do we ultimately create uh, a pathway from not having very, very much at all to being able to actually guarantee that a crowd will show up on your equity crowdfunding campaign when you finally do launch it?
about it. I mean, so you're so really for for just the, the for entrepreneurs looking to crowd and they really need to be making sure they have the right people on the bus helping them and guiding them, which is tricky given that it's a new, it's a new area, right? It has itself, but. Um, but those are some good tips, um, and and we'll post these and, and, and pull those out of the show notes because I think those are those are key in terms of helping people vet these 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 people uh, these potential service providers. Um, and then as and, and just to underscore something else you said, uh, for companies looking at crowdfunding, they've got to be able to bring the crowd to the campaign. And mostly people, as I understand it, and tell me if, uh, if, if maybe you could describe more what you mean just quickly there. But uh, is do you have a customer base? Do you have a potential customer base? Do you have uh, a, a crowd that you can connect with that's going to support the campaign? Is that the idea? Partially, yes. That could be very important. But let's take a look at before Facebook went public. What we know is that there was a huge appetite out there to get their hands on Facebook shares, right? And it was not necessarily just from customers of Facebook, because you could be a customer of Facebook without ever owning the shares. There was a huge appetite for shares. How do we know there was a huge appetite? Well, because what was happening was all of the options, not all, but many, many of the earliest employees, their options had fully vested. And what was happening is the perception was that the stock was just going up and up and up, and these employees did not have the wherewithal to exercise those options. But they wanted to exercise those options. And because they were caught in a conundrum, a worry that somehow the stock would go down, uh, at the same time that they were fully vested, maybe some of them uh, non-ISO shares, uh, shares uh, of options, so that when it goes up, they lock in gains without having had the, the cash to pay for the tax liability. They were very worried, and morale started to suffer within Facebook. And so smartly, management went to a company that actually arranged for secondary market type transactions, second market, which is now owned by NASDAQ private markets to show you where this is going. Right. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and they, they had second market basically create an opportunity where the Facebook employees would be loaned money, they would be able to exercise their options, sell those shares immediately to accredited investors that, that second market had lined. So there was this healthy appetite for those shares just based on the perception that Facebook was going to be a monumental success. I think you can actually create that kind of crowd as well. It doesn't just have to be customer-based. It can be investor-based. It can be, man, this is the next best thing since sliced bread. I got to get on board early. What we know is just throwing up a technology company doesn't do it. You've got to create all of that buzz beforehand, and you cannot create it in the context of the campaign because you have uh, the gun jumping rules the SEC still has and still very much um, uses as a tool to regulate overheating the market. Uh, so you can't decide you're going to spend a million dollars or, or let's say let's say $150,000 on an advertising campaign just to jazz up the perception of your company's potential long term just as you're about to do an offering just for the purpose of the offering because you're going to be shut down us is how do you build that interest, that crowd, way before you have to bring your company over to the, let's say, the Title III or Title IV platform and, tr and try to raise money under equity crowdfunding? We think, we think there's a way to do that. We think there's a way to get it to be broader than just uh, customers. 
Uh, we saw that in the Oculus Rift case. Clearly, there was a lot of interest around Oculus Rift uh, before they were sold to Facebook. And the interest came not just from, you know, early stage, uh, early adopters, early technology adopters and gamers and developers for the platform. It also came from the Anderson Horowitz reached out to Oculus Rift because they became so interested in the company. So um, to build that investor crowd among non-accredited, there's a way to do that. But I think the way to do that, part of the fundamental things you have to address is risk of loss and lack of liquidity. And I actually have presentations where I've rolled out what I think is the optimal non-accredited crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding ecosystem. And I'm going to start sharing that with WeFunded. We discussed it at our meeting on Saturday. Um, and it, it involves, I will tell you, creating a stock exchange for these types of issues. And that's not so far-fetched anymore. Yeah, we've seen things like, like NASDAQ private markets buy two companies that were in the secondary market creation space. A share post was one, and then almost within a year, they bought second market. So clearly there's movement in that direction, not only in the business community, but also in Congress to, to free up and actually not so much make something that's brand new, but actually re resort back to what our economy looked like 150 years ago. When you look at the map of this country in the 1850s, there were stock exchanges all over the place. Liquidity right. was not an issue, but nowadays liquidity is kind of dominated by Wall Street, you know, by the NYSE and NASDAQ for the most part. And so we think there's tremendous potential equity crowdfunding. We think there's some problems with it right now. We're going to try to figure out how to make it work much, much better than, than what we've seen so far. Well, Eric Reese is certainly pushing that back uh, to the forefront now. People are talking about it again as far as uh, sort of venture exchange for, you know, uh, out, when, you know out in Silicon Valley or uh, certainly, uh, and it's interesting to think about that in the context of Title III, um, whereas you have, and I talk to them frequently, the OTC markets guys, you know, uh, in, in Cromwell and, and all of those guys who've done fantastic work personally in cleaning up the, the old pink sheets and creating a viable, uh, transparent uh, market in that segment of the market, certainly after FINRA killed it. Um, uh, in any event, uh, it'll be very interesting to see how the, uh, what kind of public markets uh, sort of exchanges and options develop to, to create more of that liquidity you're talking about, Ray, um, and, and, and around this, this market. And, 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 you know, if you listen to Cromwell, Colson, uh, OTC Markets Group talk, you're, or even, uh, you know, even, um, you know, Mark Lenowitz of Bank and TriPoint, you know, that's what he talks about too, is the, the old micro cap IPO or small cap IPO uh, and how good it was for for entrepreneurship in this country. And uh, groups like like your group, Colorado Crowdfunding, and, and you in particular, with all the experience you've had all up and down the uh the capital uh, markets from, from the big institutions to the smaller uh, guys to the venture world uh, in, in Silicon Valley. It's very helpful and encouraging to see you, uh, you know, active uh, in this space. Uh, you, know, uh, you know, just in closing here, um, we could talk for quite a while. You've got so much knowledge. Um, where can people find you? Uh, where should they, where can they, um, aside from, we'll have show notes and links to things that, uh, that you've, you've mentioned here. Um, but where can people find you, uh, you know, contact-wise? Where should they go to, to sort of reach out to you? Okay, um, three places. They can go to coloradocrowdfunding.org. 
okay, and they can reach me there. Um, they can go to uh, arborask.msn.com. Um, or if they want to, they can go to Wyndham Peaks Capital, which is just Wyndham Peaks with an S, WyndhamPeaks.com. Any of those places are places they can go to to reach me. My phone number, my cell phone number is 303-910-2344. Our office number, if for some reason my cell phone is turned off, which I do frequently during meetings, our office number is 720-535-5219. And I would urge anybody interested come to the Colorado crowdfunding meetups. We often will meet with people and then tell them, you know what, you're too early, or you know what, you don't know enough. Come to the Colorado crowdfunding meetups first. Gorge yourself on all the free stuff before you spend a single time. <laughs> well, that's that's good advice, and um, yeah, we uh, we really appreciate it. Um, we'll, uh, we'll leave it there, and we'll post uh, your contact details with your permission, of course, uh, on, uh, on the show notes. Um, and we'll certainly be recommending people go and attend those events. We'll certainly be there. Uh, but thank you very much, Ray, for coming on the show and uh, and giving us such a such a broad perspective and such good detailed information. Um, you know, and thanks again for the work you're doing uh, at Colorado Crowdfunding. It's really uh, central to the mission of this show to just get uh, as much good information out there as possible. It sounds like you share that, so we appreciate it. And thank you very much for the opportunity to actually. Uh, get that out. Um, I really do appreciate it. Thanks again. That was part two of our interview. If you missed part one, please go back an episode and download the episode before this one for the first half of the interview. As always, please check iCollective.co for show notes of things referenced during the interview and to learn more about our guest. And if you're interested, we'd love to have you learn more about the charity Child Rescue. Go to the menu page on iCollective and click on Child Rescue. Thanks so much. And now, an ad from Dad. <clears throat> All right. Save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations.